Welcome to another episode of the V-Auto Podcast's Retail Revival Series. I'm Randy Kobat with Cox Automotive, and I'll be your host for today's podcast. For today's episode, we wanted to share the perspective of someone who comes from a larger dealer group. Germaine Auto Group is based in Columbus, Ohio, and has 15 stores across three different states. The organization is a consistent winner of local and national awards for sales and customer service. One of the leaders who drives Germain's success is the group's chief operating officer, John Malashenko. You might have heard John speak at events like Automotive News Retail Forum or even V Auto's Access Velocity event. If you've ever heard John, you know he's a smart, thoughtful leader who finds competitive advantage through efficient organizational processes that really drive performance. He inspects what he expects and gets results. He is, as Viato founder Dale Pollock likes to say, one of the best in the business. The COVID pandemic didn't spare Jermaine. Like so many dealers, they had to shut down some stores until they were deemed essential. John says business started off slow, but it's starting to make a comeback. Our first Saturday in May was off about 23% year over year. So again, we see positive trends. You know, we don't know where it will end and we don't know how long it will take, but we keep sort of adapting to reality each day, each week. John believes the experience dealers are providing consumers working most, if not all, aspects of new and used vehicle deals digitally will create positive memories for buyers and probably reshape the way dealers sell cars in the future. There will be permanent changes in behavior moving forward because of the experiences that people had within this period of time. As you'll hear in my conversation, John believes his organization has learned a lot about how they can reshape their business by asking customers and themselves a simple question. Basically, it became a situation where we asked a question, how do you want to buy the car? That became the question, how do you want to do this? Some people took delivery of their car in an Outback Steakhouse parking lot. Others, it was Target. Most people didn't want us coming near their home because that was a safe place. Thank you for joining today's podcast episode. Let's go to my conversation and hear John's insights and perspective. Enjoy the podcast, everyone. John Malashenko, COO of Jermaine Auto Group with stores in Michigan, Florida, and Ohio. Welcome to our Viato podcast. Thanks, Randy. Great to be here. It's great to have you here. You know, one of the things we're really trying to do with this podcast series is get feedback from the market, really try to keep our finger on the pulse of what's going on in the industry every day. So tell us a little bit about your dealership and the sales and service activities that you're seeing right now at your stores. Well, that's a tough thing to keep your finger on the pulse of because it changes daily. We've been doing daily Microsoft Teams meetings for about a month now, every morning. It's amazing how the nature of the discussion changes. But we've got stores in Ohio, Michigan, and Florida, as you said. And the realities in each one of those states is very different. Overall, in April, our business was down. Unit sales were down 40%. We went into the month with goals of selling 1,000. We ended up selling 1,300. Obviously, throughout the month, things improved. We were monitoring weekly RO and unit sales just to sort of get a sense of what reality was. And we saw pretty steady improvement with the low point being that first week of April to the point where we sold 1,300 vehicles versus what we thought we'd sell at 1,000. And we ended up off 40%. We were off about 39% new, about 41% used. So it was pretty balanced. ROs, we were off about 48% and fixed. Uh, again, we were off a little less in Florida because those stores never fully closed. Ohio, we were 
shut down hard for about a week, and then we opened by appointment in week two. Michigan was shut down pretty much the whole month, and then they opened by appointment in the latter part of the month. So again, sort of a moving target, but overall, we got through April, and our first Saturday in May was off about 23% year over year. So again, we see positive trends. You know, we don't know where it will end, and we don't know how long it will take, but we keep sort of adapting to reality each day, each week. You know, what's interesting is as we're thinking through how the industry will recover and is recovering, it will really be regional. And, you know, with you operating in the different states, like you mentioned, with different approaches, what are some of the challenges that you see in operating in these different states? Well, getting everybody to let go of history as a guide is probably one of the toughest things, right? Because history now in this situation, which is unprecedented by the nature of being unprecedented, there's nothing to compare it to. So we're staying very close to the reality, the marketplace and the consumers, because not only is the the level or the volume of activity down, right? The nature of how we're transacting has changed based on our staffing levels, because we furloughed almost 60% of our workforce or more in some cases, which means we were, you know, selling from a smaller base of people and the nature of those transactions changed significantly because of restrictions, because of people wanting to stay safe. So it's like I said, it's a moving target. The only reality we have is what's right in front of us. Lead and online activity can be a bit deceiving because those levels are high, but when it comes to, you know, actual transactions and the number of people that are ready to engage, you know, that's what we orient ourselves towards and we adapt our staffing levels to reflect that. But we kept bringing staff back gradually, again, to support whatever the level of business is, whether that's state to state or store to store. When we were preparing for this podcast and talking with you a little bit, you mentioned that selling cars right now is a lot different when everything is effectively done by appointment. So what are some of the key differences you've noticed and any key takeaways that might be a part of the way you approach selling cars in the future? We made the decision rightly or wrongly when our showrooms were closed. That was the initial order in Ohio and in Michigan. We were in effect closed for a week. We closed the variable operations down, kept service open. We left a skeleton crew of three managers behind. I mean, that was it. So, you know, we had our general manager and in most cases, a sales manager and say a finance manager, not always the case, but roughly three managers. And their job was to manage all the incoming calls, all the incoming leads. And what started to happen was, you know, there were still people that wanted to transact, whether they had an essential need or whatever the case may be, there were still people that wanted to transact. After about a week, you know, we saw that it was acceptable to be open by appointment. We got clarification through OADA and with the state. So we changed our language online and said, you know, we're open by appointment. Right away, I mean, and each week progressively, we started to sell more and more cars. The nature of the transaction, what changed was we were doing 75% of the transaction virtually via email, text, and phone. Uh, a lot of email, actually. Our appointments were primarily to complete paperwork and deliver the car. So we noticed two things. A, 75% of the transaction being done versus maybe 50% or less. You know, no walk-in traffic, all appointment driven. And a show rate, usually, you know, if we get 60, 65% of our appointments to show that's good work, almost 100% of the appointments showed. So the show rate went way up, but the appointment was done to keep people safe, right? We're spacing the business out. You know, it was a more manager-centric transaction, more of a 
what you might call an A to Z transaction. So the person taking the call could do everything, right? Could manage negotiations, pricing, even F&I in most cases and delivery. So they became the single point of contact and our closing rate went up. And I think our customer experience improved based on the feedback we got from our customers. I think they initially did it to stay safe, but when it was all over, there was oftentimes that was the best experience I ever had, strangely. And that's not what we expected to hear. You mentioned the Ohio Auto Dealers Association really helping get the doors open, at least for appointments. It's great to hear that. We've heard that from other dealers as well, that the State Dealers Association has been really instrumental in helping dealers across the country at least get back to business in one way or another. Our showroom stayed open in Florida, and a lot of that had to do with work that was done in Miami-Dade. And when Elter in place, stay-at-home order came in place in Florida, the showrooms remained open. So those showrooms never uh, closed in Lee and Collier County, where we are in Naples. So as we look forward, what are some of the questions you're asking yourself as you think about you know, where your business and our industry itself is heading? The game is to figure out the catalyst for these changes in process and changes in the experience. Necessity is the mother of invention, right? So by necessity, we had to adapt our staffing levels and our processes. And and basically, it became a situation where we asked a question, how do you want to buy the car? That became the question, how do you want to do this? Some people took delivery of their car in an Outback Steakhouse parking lot. Others, it was Target. Most people didn't want us coming near their home because that was a safe place. Although we thought, you know, delivery at home would be what they wanted. It wasn't. But the idea of them being a collaborative partner and how the process took place, that was the real shift. And that's what everybody liked. So it was our ability and willingness to say, how do you want to buy the car? And then responding. You know, the question is, how much of that can we carry forward? I believe that there will be I mean, some people have used the analogy, right? The toothpaste is out of the tube, right? There will be permanent changes in behavior moving forward because of the experiences that people had within this period of time. And we have a saying in our company, which is open to everything attached to nothing. And so I think we're, you know, fortunately, we like to see ourselves as adaptable, but that's, you know, with every general manager, not only are we looking at rebuilding the business gradually as business returns, we're looking at every process. We're looking at the org chart and saying, what skills are more valuable now? You know, what roles are more relevant? And maybe within that, which roles and which skills are less relevant based on what we've actually learned. So I think that's it. I mean, I want to be able to continue to be able to provide options to customers that start with a question of how do you want to buy the car? Moving in that direction and providing those solutions. And that's not a hundred percent digital solution, Randy. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, that may be their preference. You mentioned the different processes and roles that are being redefined. What are some of those specifically? Obviously, who answers the initial call and, you know, the role of that person, the skill, the autonomy level, right? What we saw is when the managers took the call initially, right, they were able to go much further and much deeper and be much more responsive, right? So we saw that as sort of a key point. So we're rethinking about how those initial calls are taken and by whom they're taken so that they can ask those questions and respond quickly. You know, that obviously is a key component of this. So we're looking at process from that perspective. You know, we have lots of traditional roles, sales consultant, you know, sales manager, but again, we're trying to set titles aside and say, forget about what our traditional roles have been. You know, what's this optimal process look like? Who takes the call and what should they be able to do? The idea that someone that can do more than one thing 
becomes, in my opinion, more relevant in a situation like this. But again, it may mean managers becoming more transactional and, and moving in directions that, you know, if they see themselves as someone that sits behind a desk and works, you know, payments, that in itself may not be enough. You know, like I said, we're sort of rethinking roles, rethinking skill sets and trying to align them with what we think the customer will want moving forward. And, you know, again, we're not making wholesale changes, but we're certainly open to it. And a lot of my GMs, depending on the franchise and their structure, are making changes in those processes. I think we're seeing that here, even in our business, you know, title immaterial in a lot of ways, we're acting like player coaches and it's just really important to clearly articulate your level of autonomy, right? Within certain parameters, you are allowed to make a decision here within this span of control, right? Right. And the term cross-training has been overused and around for a long time, but there's no doubt that I've heard over and over again when I said, you know, whose stock is up? What do you appreciate? Well, you know, the people that showed up and were willing to do whatever was required of the situation and had multiple skills, right? That were able to do more than just one thing. All of those people were really successful and really helpful. And the stores that had managers that were more transactional by nature or more and some processes in some of our stores, our Toyota store is an example, they tend to have a more manager-centric sales process with the salespeople being more products, you know, specialists. And they seemed to thrive a bit and do a bit better than maybe a more traditional store where the salesperson was really that initial point of contact and managed the transaction and the managers might be seen once at a certain point. We saw that happen. One of the things, you know, we've worked with you at Viato here for quite a while. And, you know, one of the things early on is you really recognized as a manager that's really focused on key performance indicators. So what's an example of how you're using them to manage your teams in the current situation? KPIs for us, which again are tasks and activities that drive performance, not the outcomes themselves, but the key essential tasks and activities that we think are the highest leverage ones. We like to keep the focus narrow and they're also dynamic so that as the situation changes, the KPIs should change. They're not written in stone on a tablet. They're our operating system, Randy. That's how we define what the priorities are for each person. We try to make sure they're not redundant so nobody's doing the same thing and also that they're aligned to what people are best at. Those KPIs became sort of our architecture for how to move in a new direction. I think certainly there are some things that we're paying more close attention to when it comes to a KPI perspective on the used car side, right? We may be unique in this. We've never had hard dollar limits, right? We've managed turn and we've managed key metrics within used cars around aging and turn. But in this case, we stopped buying cars at the beginning of April and nobody has bought any cars as we're trying to push the units down. Dale and I had a discussion early on and push your units down, push your average dollars down, which made sense. And now we've done that. We're at a point where, you know, it makes sense for us to start to buy again, but what are you going to buy? And even just the process of appraising a car has changed. So, you know, we're starting to have those discussions and we probably will establish total dollar limits based on a 30-day rolling sales average because there is no historical reference point. So again, I think it's it's the willingness to realign to new metrics and redefine what the priorities are. And that may change in 60 or 90 days. It absolutely will. But for now, as the market still reveals itself over the next 30, 60, 90 days, right, we have to have sort of fluid measurements. There's some guesswork involved. They're not the same as they were. We find ourselves orienting ourselves to different metrics. And as a result, the KPIs change. What you're focused on moment to moment and day to day. And plus, we've got less people doing more work right now. You know, we're redefining roles. So when you redefine roles, 
you redefine KPIs. So we may be taking certain responsibilities that were the domain of one person who's currently furloughed, but it's still a priority. Like you said, we've set titles aside and tried to define what matters most. What are the tasks and activities that matter most? That's the first question. Who's best at it and distribute the work evenly and appropriate to skill and continue to review it at least monthly and possibly you know weekly in some cases. You mentioned and I've heard this from a number of people, you know, you're trying to reduce your used inventory, not buying cars, as you mentioned, but many of those new cars that you sold in April potentially came with a trade-in. So how are you managing that? Yeah, no, I mean, we continue to, you know, <laughs> again, there's a lot of interesting ways to hide cars um, <laughs> and move them into different statuses. And that's where the dollars come in. At some point, you know, liquidity is really important at a time like this. Cash flow is not something that typically would be something that I would have to engage my general managers in a discussion of overall from an organizational standpoint, right? But now I do. Liquidity as we move into June, as wholesale prices continue to drop, right? There's going to be opportunity there for us. We've been proactive. We've taken the hits and done what we need to to retail out of these cars. But the discussion of liquidity and cash flow has been something that we talk about a lot more now. So that's why we're going to set dollar limits for everybody and uh, you know monitor the situations, not try to restrict activity, but, but like you said, be responsible because the dynamics are fluid, whether we're taking cars in on trade, buying cars, we have buying centers, right? We have a couple of uh, strong ICO operations and there's a lot of activity there right now. There's a lot of people looking to trade in cars, right? Whether it's to create cash or whatever the case may be. So that's a great opportunity for us because we're in engaged in that business. We may even look at doing more of it at other stores as sort of a, an initial step back into buying. You know, those are all things that are on our radar and something we're discussing, you know, every day. Like a lot of dealers I've spoken to, you have the wisdom of history with you having gone through the 2008-2009 recession. So what are some of the similarities and differences between the situation you're experiencing right now and back then? Our relationship with the auto began because of the recession in 08. We've been a traditional high volume, new car oriented, lots of advertising dealer group. And 40% of the market went away and we realized right away that we needed to change our approach to the market. We got out of print, we got out of TV, we got out of radio, all those things. Then we never went back and we became highly digital and we became a used car oriented operation, right? And all of that was a function of what happened in the fall of 08. I think I, I met Dale in you know, the first quarter of 09, and that's when we started to move down that path. So there were major changes in who we were as an organization, right? It redefined us. And there are opportunities within situations like this. It's a chance to step back and rethink. And also, I think the market has been and will be permanently changed in some ways, certainly transactionally. So you can choose to hope for everything to return to normal, or you can pay attention and embrace that, you know, it's a more entrepreneurial approach, right? You're looking at the market and you're looking at what you're seeing and you start to make changes ahead of things, not reacting, right? So being proactive, I think those people will be rewarded. It's sometimes scary. It's not easy. Not all organizations are oriented to do that, but we feel there's an opportunity to establish ourselves in a very good position competitively and, and otherwise if we embrace change as opposed to hope for things to return to normal. I think you hit it right on the head. The entrepreneurial spirit and the resilience of our industry always amazes me. And I think we're starting to see that shine through right now. Hey, to your point, I mean, I've said to every GM I have, I said, how lucky are we 
you know, A, I've been shocked at the resilience of the retail car market. Pleasantly surprised. You know, when you look at all the businesses that are closed and all the unemployment and all the fallout and, you know, we're closed and then we're open by appointment and we weren't doing anything to create the business that we would normally do, yet the business kept coming. I told people, I said, I've never fully appreciated how essential we may be, right? I could have argued at the beginning of this, I can see service and parts, but is selling a car an essential task? It appears that to a lot of people we are. I think there are some, right? If public transportation isn't available and that's the option you've been using, or maybe you don't feel safe ride sharing, all of a sudden there's people looking to have their own transportation as, as a safe place, to be quite honest, and a way to get from point A to point B safely. It's sort of an interesting dynamic coming out of this. And will that experience change people's behavior and feelings for the long term? You know, there's a good chance it could. Yeah, I was reading in the Wall Street Journal, uh, I guess it was on Saturday, where there's a hundred predictions you can read. But 80% of the people, the consumers, will go back to kind of normal as we come out of this. It's the 20% that really are going to be critical. And I think to your point, we're going to need to learn how they want to buy. And those industries and businesses that learn how to do that are going to be successful long term. Yeah. And 20% isn't a small number. I mean, when you sit at the beginning of the year and you're trying to figure out ways to grow in what is a flat or maybe slightly declining market, right? We're not just talking about, like you said, total market size. You're talking about changing behaviors in consumers, whoever, whoever adapts and, you know, sort of orients themselves best to that 20% of the market that wants something different than they did 45 days ago. There's incrementality, there's growth, there's opportunity there. So, you know, it makes sense to pay attention to it. Well, John, I really am grateful for your time today. It's great to call you a friend, a friend of Viato, and we really appreciate your insight today on the podcast. My pleasure. Great to be with you and to speak with you. Wish you all the best of luck and look forward to seeing you in person soon. Yeah, hopefully NADA in New Orleans, if not sooner. That sounds great. Randy, thanks so much. Thanks, John. Have a great day. And my thanks to all of you for listening to today's Dealer Voices Conversation. Please share this podcast with any of your friends that you think could benefit from hearing these insights. Stay tuned for our next podcast episode, and thank you for joining us today. We'll see you very soon.